Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. I want to start a series today that I'll be preaching. Brother Michael will be preaching next Sunday and then I'll be continuing. But we're going to call it the Gospel of Mark. Now time will not permit to cover every chapter and every verse in the book. But it will be our focus for the next four weeks leading to Easter. You know why? Because Mark spoke to the Romans who knew nothing of scriptures but everything of power. So his style is rapid, it's energetic, and it's concise. He emphasizes the deeds of the Lord more than his words, evidenced by the fact that he records 19 miracles but only four parables. Mark is my kind of guy. Just in the first chapter, Jesus is baptized and his true identity is affirmed. Then he's thrust out into the wilderness to be tempted. The first disciples are called, evil spirits are driven out, people are healed, and he preaches throughout Galilee in the first chapter. Mark shows us what the kingdom should look like, even in 2021. Illness should be gone. Death will be destroyed. Evil defeated and people reconciled to God. And Mark wants us to be clear that this is good news, the gospel. But the good news centers around Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed one. This was the title of the promised king, the descendant of David, who would rule the kingdom and deliver his people. And Mark is telling us that Jesus is more than a mere man. He's fully divine. And he is the king of of kings and typically kings would send envoys ahead of them to prepare the way mark tells us that god did the same for jesus christ sending an envoy to prepare the way for the king but he didn't send horses and chariots christ's ambassador was a man named john whose mission was foretold many years before by the prophet Isaiah. The prophet said a voice would cry in, out in the wilderness, instructing people to prepare for the Lord's coming. So we pick it up, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan confessing their sins. Now I love this. This is my kind of guy. My boy didn't have a suit and tie on. And John was clothed with camel's hair. And with a girdle of skin. Of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. And preached saying there cometh one mightier than I after me. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So I want to preach to you from this topic. Wisdom from a wild man. Wisdom from a wild man. One more time, lay down your Bibles. Lift your hands and your voice with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. God, thank you for these great people. Let me preach the word of God to them. God, those watching online, let it produce in somebody's life the change that they need. In Jesus' name we pray. Someone shout amen. amen. 
Give the Lord a hand clap of praise and you may be seated. When we turn the page from the last chapter of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament to the first chapter of the New Testament, we turn through 400 years of history and silence. The Old Testament did not end well. We find that God was insulted by the sloppy worship of Malachi's time. The priests of his day were playing religious games, going through religious motions and leading God's people to worship casually. People were bringing God animals for a sacrifice that they wouldn't even serve to their human leaders. And God was insulted by their carelessness and casual worship. They didn't esteem God as the, as the great king that he is. So God said, I'm going to go silent. Think about that. It had been four centuries since any man had heard from God. There was no prophets. There was no burning bushes. There was nothing. And on top of that, there is political upheaval and unrest for the people of God. Now, I'm not talking about 2021 in the United States of America. I'm talking about it in the Bible. During those 400 years, pagan empires rose and fell. Alexander the Great managed to conquer what seemed to be the entire world, yet couldn't conquer Jerusalem. And at the close of Malachi, Israel is back in Palestine after Babylonian captivity under Persia. But by the time the Gospels begin, Israel is now under Roman rule. It was a very dark time and it seemed hopeless, discouraging, and bleak. Yet something happened. Some who were dejected and exhausted became desperate for revival. They used all of these dismal things to create a hunger for God and an anticipation for change. There was all of a sudden in the midst of the chaos, there was all of a sudden an air of expectancy as people begin to wait and look for the promised Messiah. This is what God had wanted all along. And it's almost as if God pulled back in order to draw them in. And there is now a group of people who were on their tiptoes with hope, looking for revival, renewal, and restoration. It was a recipe for something good, was, for something good to happen. It was, it was what God had been waiting on. Hunger and hope, hope meet together, deep calling unto deep. And God shows up in an unexpected way. After 400 years of silence, God finally sends a messenger. But I don't think he fit the mold that they thought he would fit. He was different. He was unique. He wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locust and wild honey, judgment and blessings. He was an outcast. He was a misfit. And many even labeled him a wild man. Anybody ever been called a wild man? Yet he proved that being different doesn't disqualify you from being dynamic. It prepares you. Wisdom from a wild man should free us from the comparison trap that we don't have to be anybody else but who God called us to be. God loves misfits. God loves people that are different. God loves people that are unique. God loves people that don't try to fit the mold of everybody else. Call me a wild man if you want to, but call me used by God. The Bible is full of stories of misfits. Come on, it's like the island that Rudolph found himself on. The island of misfit toys. 
You thought that island was full of misfits. You ought to see the church. God has taken people from every walks of life, every, every, every struggle, every battle, every story. We don't look alike. We don't act alike. We're not the same person. But God said, watch me build my kingdom with these people. Moses had a temper and a stutter, but God uses him to deliver millions. A little overlooked shepherd boy named David took on a giant with a slingshot, and he won. Simon Peter cut a man's ear off. Shoot. He denied Christ three times after Christ already warned him that he was going to die. How you mess up when he gave you the answers to the test? Peter, you going to deny me? No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. He was the guy with Christ. No, I'm not. No, wasn't he? It wasn't me. And then Jesus is in a tomb. Simon Peter is fishing naked. He ain't got no clothes on. My boy denied Jesus and then went fishing and took all the clothes off. That's a problem. That's a... Straight to jail. Straight. Straight to jail. <laughs> Think you are, Simon Peter. Listen. Jesus walks out to the tomb and goes where Simon Peter's at, and he's got to put his clothes on to get in the water to go to Jesus. But when Jesus needed somebody to preach the day of Pentecost, he didn't go looking for a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He said, give me the one, the wild man. Give me the one. He don't have it all together, but he's available. Give me the one that will use his voice as a testimony about the goodness of God. Oh, 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 we love, we love to talk about Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was short, bald, stubborn, harsh, and weak with failing eyesight. The scripture tells us that his, his personal pres presence is unimpressive. Like you be in a room with Paul and he don't even catch your eye. He didn't have any eloquence. He couldn't speak, really. Matter of fact, Paul even said that I love people that clarify their weakness. I don't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom because you can't. <laughs> coming to you with the demonstration of the power of God you got to Paul that's what you got to do because the Bible says you're unimpressive you're unimpressive and you have no eloquence but yet God still handpicked him to write two-thirds of the New Testament because God knows how to take our weaknesses and make them strength. God knows how to take a misfit and use them for the glory and for his kingdom and for his power. I'm glad that God knows how, to, knows how to use a wild man. It amazes me that we celebrate the underdog in the Bible, yet we often hide from the fact that God can use us and wants to use us. We've got to break this spirit of inadequacy and insecurity in the kingdom of God. When are we going to remove the mask and embrace how God can use anything or anyone for his glory? Everyone, you hear me today, I'm, I'm after this spirit. And I'm going to chase it down. And I'm going to take care of it. Everyone has something to give God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many mistakes you made. I don't care about all your failures. You have something that God wants to use. Listen, God knows how to take what we have, break it and bless it and multiply it to bless other people. It's miracle math. There was 5,000 people one time who, who were hungry. And there wasn't no 
Starbucks, there wasn't no Burger King, there wasn't no shopping, there wasn't no Dollar General or Walmart anywhere around. They are in a wilderness place. There's nowhere to get food. But there was a little boy who had a lunchbox that his mama packed him that day. Now let me ask you a question. Does anybody know what was in that lunchbox? Two fish and five loaves. What if that little boy would have thrown his lunch away because he was mad because he wanted a turkey sandwich lunch like Johnny had? Mama, you gave me fish sticks and loaves of bread. Have you seen that turkey sandwich? Ain't nothing like a turkey sandwich. I don't care. Don't fool with no bologna. Don't fool with no ham. Get you some turkey. Put it on some bread and put some mustard on that. With a bag of chips and a Coke Zero. I'm telling you, it's heaven on earth. But what if this little boy would have been mad because his mama didn't put a turkey sandwich in his lunchbox like little Johnny had or didn't put no filet mignon or baked potato. And this little boy got mad and said, you know what? This lunch isn't good enough and I'm embarrassed to even carry it to where I'm going. You know what would happen? If he gets mad over what's in the box, 5,000 people would have suffered, suffered because one person didn't like what they had. You've got to stop. You've got to stop saying, I don't like what I have. I don't like my story. I don't like my testimony. No, God wants to use you to feed the multitude. Don't look at your neighbor and say, I wish I had their calling. I wish I had their anointing. I wish I had it. No, no, no. You are who God called you to be. If he can multiply bread and fish, then what can he do with your life? It may not be much. I may not be much. You may not be much. Our church may not be much. But in the hands of the master, not much becomes more than enough. And it's time to take the labels the enemy is trying to put on you off. And it's time to destroy the idols trying to keep you from reaching what God has for you. You've been struggling because you don't fit in. God doesn't want you to fit in. God wants you to stand out. And you are where you are. You did what you did. But here you are in the presence of God. And God is saying, I want to use that for my glory. There was once an imposing statue of King George III in the heart of New York City. It looks something like this. It's hard to imagine such a thing now, but when we were a part of the British Empire, the statue was placed prominently in the heart of Manhattan, and its meaning was inescapable. What this image said is, you have to fit my image, because I'm the king. And they were subject to the image. A detailed description tells us what it looked like. The monarch is... Nine feet tall and made of lead and gold, sitting atop a large horse and 15 foot high marble pedestals support, supports the two. The statue set right outside where George Washington placed his headquarters at the start of the Revolutionary War. Washington had hoped to be able to maintain control of the city, but he was unable to do so. And the British would control New York for most of the war. During this short-lived occupation, the city was greatly divided. You had loyalists who were devoted to the crown, and they reported Washington's movements and artillery placements to the British. But when the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson and signed by the Continental Congress, was read throughout the colonies, its message its message quickly ricocheted, ricocheted around the world. And General Washington assembled his armies and had the document read aloud to them. You know what happened after he read the document? Afterward, a great celebration broke out. And a mob of wild soldiers and patriot citizens stormed down Broadway. And they tore down this statue. Historians, David, historian David McCullough described the scene with ropes and bars. They pulled down the gilded lead statue of George III in it. 
his colossal horse. In their fury, the crowd took off the head of the statue, severed the nose, clipped the laurels that wreathed the head, and mounted what remained of the head on a spike outside a tavern. King George III was unmistakably dethroned, and this momentous scene captures the end of a power struggle and the rightful removal of the vestiges of former authority. The monarch statue symbolized who was really in control, and they celebrated their freedom in the street. Somebody needs to celebrate your freedom today. You don't have to be anybody else. But here's where I got to get. Since it didn't belong to them, the American people said we got to give it back to the British. So that's exactly what they did. They melted the statue down, fashioning the lead into bullets and returning it one musket ball at a time at the British. When are you going to turn what the enemy has been using against you into ammunition that you're going to use against the enemy? Here, if you feel like a failure, why don't you give God your pass and let him do something with it? If you feel like the calling is beyond your ability, why don't you give God your inability? If you're feeling defeated, give God determination. Listen, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to go gently into the night. I refuse to let my destiny be taken without a fight. I'm rising up and I'm going to do exactly what the devil doesn't want me to do. I'm going to be used by God. Ma'am or sir, you are chosen. You are loved. You are called. You are equipped. You're a part of the spiritual lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're meant to dwell in the land of and feed on his faithfulness. You're meant, to, you're, you're meant to show life to people who are hurting. You're meant to encourage those who are weary. And give bread of life to those who are hungry. You are meant to create hope in the midst of hopelessness. You will fall. Hear me today. You will fall. But you will get back up again. You will learn from your mistakes. And you will grow wise and strong and brave. And when your time here on earth is done. You will leave a legacy. That will ring out through the ages and touch thousands into eternity. And when the enemy tries to come at you anymore for the next week or month. You're going to rise up in faith and say down is not my destiny. I'm meant to be who God. I'm uniquely me and I don't have to be anybody else. I'm breaking the comparison trap. I'm not called to be pastor. I'm not called to be the person I'm sitting next to. I am called to be me. Watch this. What you may not have known about John the Baptist is the wild man was the son of a temple priest. But John would leave institutional religion. Why? Because he was tired of folks talking the talk but not walking the walk. He was infuriated by the Jerusalem temple priests who lined their purses with widows paychecks and cozied up to the Roman oppressors to stay in power the temple didn't need a physician so God takes John into the desert or the wilderness we often hear it preached about God taking us out of the world but what about when God has to separate us from the religious because they care more about ritual than they do the message of Jesus Christ I know a lot of people come in here and can complain about everything about the ritual, but they, ain't win, they haven't won one soul in years. 
We forgot that he saves us to spend us and he puts, he puts us in the middle as a link between the message and the lost. And he tells us, connect the two. And God had to get John away from the Pharisees and Sadducees. So God takes John to the desert. And the Bible says the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. It's a place that's arid. It doesn't have life. It cannot, and it cannot sustain life on its own. But it's where God placed John with a word. Wisdom from a wild man shows us that God knows how to use the desert to produce revival. And God wasn't trying to discourage John. He was trying to position him for what was next. And we also read this. John came preaching in the wilderness. John said, I got a word in the wilderness. And I got to give a word in the wilderness. God spoke to me and I got to tell somebody about it. Your voice matters in the midst of a pandemic. Don't let the enemy say we're, we're in COVID, nothing. Look at this crowd today. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for a voice in the midst of the wilderness. He's looking for somebody to say, I got a word. What we do in the desert matters. In Exodus, when God brought the children of, of, of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he brought them across the Red Sea. You know what he took them into? He didn't take them into the promised land. He took them across the Red Sea and he put them in a desert. And he drowned their enemy in the Red Sea behind them. Now this is where the story gets unique to me. Miriam, the sister of Moses, snuck a tambourine in her purse out of Egypt. And they get across the Red Sea and Miriam reaches in her purse in the middle of a desert and she pulls out a tambourine and she begins to play the tambourine and when she did everybody started dancing in the midst of the desert one historian says this he says that their enemies who drowned in the red sea were littered across the banks of the desert so when the women started dancing they were dancing on what oppressed them for years in egypt Who would have ever thought that God would deliver you so well that you would be here dancing on what used to dance on you? That you would be here saying, I used to be bound, but now I'm free. Somebody needs to get that tambourine out and say, I got to praise. God has taken me out. I'm not an Egyptian. I've been... Not an Egyptian. Listen, my dance in the desert is just as important. And I know it sounds foolish, but what I'm trying to tell you is don't let the desert take your dance. Because while you're dancing, devils are being destroyed. While you're dancing, disease is being dealt with. While you're dancing, addiction is being broken and debt is being canceled. Miriam said, I got to get my tambourine. I know I'm in a desert, but I'm not where I was. Because when I praise God, God's magnified and the more you praise him, the more he'll work for you. So when you see God bringing you out, don't just stand there and look at him. Thank you, Jesus. My boy. No, I want to be just as excited today about redemption than I was when he first found me. I don't want to forget that he didn't have to save me, but he did. I know it's been a drought season, but get your dance back. I know it hadn't worked out maybe like you thought, but get your praise back. What you do in the desert matters. Come on, somebody. I hear a Miriam in this place. Warm up your vocal cords and say, I got to dance in the midst of the desert. Got to dance in the middle of the desert. 
And while you dance, God is breaking the back of oppression and moving you away from fear. So you will not have to spend the rest of your life on the run. You getting ready to settle your feet and say, I've got to dance in the midst of the desert. Watch this. Miriam danced. It wasn't just because Pharaoh was dead. Miriam, Miriam danced because the threat of him coming back to get her was destroyed. Listen to me. You danced not because what God brought you out of, but you danced because it ain't coming back. I said it, it ain't coming back. It's over. It's done. God, somebody needs to dance in the desert. Somebody needs to say, I got to dance in the mess. It ain't coming back. It ain't coming back. It ain't coming back. Come on, that's wisdom from a wild man. I've got a voice. I've got a voice. I've got a voice and I've got to dance in the middle of a desert. Come on, i got to dance. I've got to dance. The enemy's trying to tell me it's too dry to have revival. But I've got to dance. <laughs> Musicians, come. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Listen, you know why Miriam danced? Miriam danced because her kids wouldn't have to be born in the same captivity that she was born. Miriam danced because she did. Come on, I've got a voice. I've got a voice. I've got a voice. Come on, Miriam. Come on, Miriam. Your kids, your kids' life is different because you got to dance. Come on, I got to dance. Come on, I got to dance. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. God is not looking. He's not looking for somebody that's not thankful. He's looking for somebody to say, I know I'm broke, but I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. It's not going to be like it was yesterday. I'm done. I'm done. I promise I'm done. The Holy Ghost is ministering right now. 
I'm not going to tell the story. I'll preach, I'll preach a part two. Brother Michael's going to preach next week, and then I'll come back. We'll switch it up. It don't matter. We need part two next week. No, no, we don't need part two. You know what John was doing? John was coming to open the cage in the wilderness to say you don't have to die with the lid on. I've come to release you into your destiny today. I've come to tell you you don't have to live in a cage of depression. You don't have to live oppressed and in bondage. It's time to take the lid off. And somebody say, I'm unique, but I'm called. Come on, there's so much power in this place. God, I'm coming out. God, I'm coming out. God, I'm coming out. You ever felt like this? Ooh, I feel a prophetic anointing in this place. The lid come off. The lid come off. The lid come off. Come on, wisdom from a wild man. Listen to wisdom from a wild man. Listen to wisdom from a wild man. Listen to wisdom from a wild man. Somebody needs to step out. Somebody needs to step out. Somebody needs to step out. Listen to me. I'm done. They're going to they sing. They can do whatever they feel. I'm done. God spoke to me. And this is what he told me. He said, I'm sending you there to release them into what I've called them to be. Some of you have been through the wilderness. And you don't know why God placed you there. But God placed you there to release you to be a voice that's going to connect people to his message and the redemption. It's time to come out and step out and say, God's getting ready to use me. 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 Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.